Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Running Hooks Basketball Power Hour. I'm Alex Burr, back once again with my co-host and great friend, J.D. Hall. J.D., in the tradition of throwing a curveball when you expect a fastball. How about them Cubs? I know you're a big Cubs fan. I know they haven't been doing great this year, but it seems like there's some bright, it seems like they're having a better season than the White Sox, and that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm, I'm actually excited about us. We got a lot of uh, good talent, a lot of great guys. Um, like, I really like Morel a whole lot. I'm I'm excited for our future. And then, you know, my favorite player still there. He's still chugging along. So I'm excited to see what we could do. Yeah, the Cubs are 23 and 32 right now. And the White Sox are 25 and 27. So like a four or five game difference compared to expectations. The Cubs are doing much better than the White Sox. The White Sox were expected to be this championship team, this like juggernaut of a team. And we've beaten the Yankees a good amount this year. We've beaten the Rays a couple. We're 11 and eight against the AL East this year, the teams that we've played and we'll have the games against the Orioles. But I actually, and I can't say 11 and eight because the Blue Jays did kill us. So, I don't know. It's it's tough. I want the White Sox to succeed, but it's just been such a tough year. Do you? What about this? Uh, isn't there a Suzuki kid? For the yeah, club? he he hurt right now. That's why I didn't mention him because I ain't want nobody to like hear his name and then be like, "All right, when the hell can we see him?" <laughs> but yeah, he real solid. I like him a lot too. I've heard that kid's hitting a bunch of home runs and. That's yeah, a- early this season, we'll be a lot better. We get them back. I- One thing for sure, we'll win the first inning. <laughs> you know what? Hey, as long as you can keep serve for the other eight, that's all. That's all good, right? That's all you really need. So, let's move on to the basketball aspect of this. Um, we are two games into the finals. This is about. I don't even know how long after the final buzzer of game two. Game two was a blowout in the second half. <laughs> So we're going to talk about that game. But, J.D., just before we get going any further, do you have any final thoughts? Um, it should be 2-0. Golden State. Boston, um, I just got to say, that fourth quarter that they had, I said it um, on the last pod, they will never shoot that good again. They just won't. Had they not had, I mean, seven or seven to start a fourth quarter from the three and then to score 40 in a quarter, they didn't even do that the second half of this game. They did it. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think they just, they the ball was rolling their way and they was able to knock down shots. So, congrats to them for taking advantage. But I think, had everything not been going that way, it'd be too well go to state easily. Well, yeah. go to state shooting bad. So that's what makes this even more troublesome for, um, based off of how I think about it. Cause Steph has proven he can't be guarded. 
Jordan Poole just missed shots the first game, and he was he went berserk tonight the second half. Clay haven't even shot good at all. Clay has been trash, and yet Golden State is in every game. Well, has been in every game, and led going into the fourth quarter both games. I don't I don't like how that look for Boston. I think for Boston that is a bad thing. For sure. I, so let's get into the scores real quick. So game one, the Celtics won 120 to 108 behind the strength of the fourth quarter JD just described. And then tonight, the Warriors won 107 to 88 behind the strength of the third quarter in particular. And they didn't really relent in the um in the fourth. It was crazy, JD, but my count. It was 52 to 50 at halftime Golden State's way. Yep. By my count, it was 35 to 14 <laughs> Golden State's way in the third quarter. They have dominated the third quarter in the last two games. And it's I don't think the Celtics were pushing as hard on the gas pedal as they probably should have been. Especially given the fact that you know the Warriors. What has been the Warriors' patented thing the entire time Steve Kerr has been the coach? They come out blazing the third quarter. Exactly. It has been like this for literal years now. It has been like this since we were in high school. It has been like this since Peyton Pritchard was in middle school. Actually, no, my math is off there because Peyton Pritchard's a little bit older, but you get what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Peyton Pritchard was drafted in 2020. They were doing this five, six five, six years before he was drafted, right? They should know to come out of the third quarter, you need to come out strong, right? Kerr is not great at game-to-game adjustments. Like, I don't think he's as good as Ty Lue, right? But I don't think any coach is as good as that as Ty Lue is. What Steve Kerr and co. are great at is seeing what you're doing wrong at the half and then adjusting to it <laughs> and just punching you in the face repeatedly. And it just felt like the the Celtics were throwing the ball all over the court in that quarter. This whole game, really. Seven turnovers <laughs> in the third quarter. Or, sorry, this is the sec- the whole second half. That's still way too much. Seven turnovers. Third quarter, four turnovers. First quarter, seven turnovers. JD, you can't turn the ball over. And the Celtics has... I, I honestly think, JD, the Celtics formula for winning games is pretty simple. Take care of the basketball. When they take care of the basketball, they win games. When they don't take care of the basketball, they lose games. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, they could go both sides, honestly. Sure. Sure. But I feel like for the Celtics, it's been especially true. Like every game they lost to Miami, they were throwing the rock all over the place because Miami just couldn't score in the I, teams can't really get off in the half court against them. Steph can, but that's because Steph is special, right? Steph and Giannis are the two exceptions and Steph and Giannis are probably two of the three best players in the world right now. So not being able to stop those guys in the half court isn't a sin, right? Not being able to stop Jimmy Butler in the half court all the time isn't a sin because Jimmy Butler is one of the seven best basketball players in the world. What the problem is, is just letting those teams get easy transition opportunities Yeah. to supplement your unstoppable, like, your great half court defense gets mitigated when you just throw the ball away. Mm-hmm. And I think it's <laughs> the Celtics need to like win or lose. They need to get a better point guard, right? They need to get this generation's version of DJ Augustine. I don't know who this generation's version of DJ Augustine is, but 
they need to find that guy who won't turn the ball over, who will just take care of the ball at all times. And it's just not going to mess things up in the half court offense. I, I think, you know, who I think would be great for Boston, but I don't know if they should go after him. Who's that? Ricky Rubio. <laughs> that would be a great idea, but that's I, I love that idea. That's brilliant, especially since he can guard really well. Like since he's one of the best defending point guards in the league and his IQ isn't going to go away after tearing his ACL. But JD, what have you seen from Golden State that you've liked? Like other than the fourth quarter in game one, the Warriors have felt like pretty in control of this series. What have you seen from them that you've liked so far? Um, The movement. I don't, to be honest, the turnovers have mainly been careless turnovers. I don't think Boston's defense have been just, they can't be as aggressive as they were versus other teams because Golden State cut so well. They movement without the ball is so great that it's hard for Boston to really just D them up. Golden State has to be careless. And when Golden State not being careless, it's, it's no way Boston can beat them. I would tend to agree with that. And I think the, your point about the movement is so great. And I think another element of them moving is when you're moving so much, you lose your man. And when you lose your man, that creates offensive rebounding opportunities. And Wiggins has been great at that. Him, Wiggins. Him and Looney. Mm-hmm. And then I, I called it before the uh, series. I said, Boston will switch everything and go to state will feast off of them doing that. Steph Curry has been killing because they keep switching. Payne Pritchard, Al Horford, Robert, stop switching. All. You you have to just say forget it and try to body up with him. Because as soon as you switch, Steph is burning you. And I mean, Steph is a great passer. Just because the assist numbers don't show it, he's a great passer. Y'all choose to trap off of that. Now you let in probably the best decision maker on a team as far as passing go come down where he get to a free reign to the rim, a dump off to the side, or he hit kicking it to a shooter in Draymond Green. I think I think Boston uh what they've been great at doing on defense is a detriment because they going against a team that shares the ball the way they go to state do. They didn't have to worry about those things with none of the three teams they face coming up to now. That's definitely true. But my thing with the Celtics and why I'm so high on them, and I'm still picking them to win the series after this game, I'm not really moved off of my Boston in six take, is just because... Even tonight, you could see that having two scores is giving the Warriors defense problems. I'm not really concerned about the Warriors offense at all in spite of playing the Celtics. I think the Warriors offense is going to be fine throughout the remainder of this series. They are a great off there. I don't think I'm uncomfortable saying they're the best offense in this playoffs, and it's been the case this whole postseason. They've just been unstoppable, even against the Grizzlies defense, who is great, against the Mavericks defense, who guarded them incredibly well. They just 
got whatever they wanted because the Mavericks didn't have a rim protector. The Nuggets defense is trash. We would agree with that. But I think the Warriors have been unstoppable on offense. And I want to go back to your game one point, though, J.D. I think it is entirely possible that they leave those Celtics role players open. And Al Horford, I'm not saying Al Horford will go off for 26 again. He's a guy you actually got to guard from deep, though. And credit to the Warriors, he didn't get a three off tonight. Yeah. They were, I, I thought Jay they bodied into him. Yeah. I thought they did a really good job of baiting Al Horford into post-ups and trying to beat them with post-ups because you, if you're the Celtics, that's like the third thing you want. You don't want him posting up, but if he has a mismatch, I guess you'll go to it. But Looney and Draymond are both quick enough where they can help off and make it hard for Horford. Like Horford is really good, but Horford's not, prime Al Horford anymore, right? Like, this isn't the guy who led the Celtics to the conference finals in 2018. Yeah. And Robert Williams is pretty one-dimensional on offense. He only ended up playing 14 minutes tonight. He banged knees or smart fell. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I hope he's okay because he's been in and out this whole playoffs. Smart was dreadful tonight. (laughs) Smart... That honestly might be the key to this series, Shady. It's just Marcus Smart vacillating between his good games and his bad games. What have you seen from Marcus Smart in these two games? Uh, Marcus Smart being Marcus Smart. You know, (laughs) I mean, it's what you, if you watch Boston enough, this is what you know. You either go get a very good game or what the hell type of game. And I mean, that's just who he been his whole career. It's all or nothing with Marcus Smart. It's not in between. It's either everything is going well or everything is going opposite way. Only thing we can say is he's going to give you consistent effort, consistent uh, flops, flops, and I want to say consistent what the hell moments because when he made the shot or made the pass it's like wow that could have been bad but then when he done it's like what the hell he do that for but that's Marcus Smart there was one pass he had during the third quarter tonight where they couldn't get anything going and he somehow was able to throw a whip pass in the air to the, he was driving to his right. He somehow was able to throw in the air a whip pass to the opposite wing. And you're like, there's no way he's not gonna, he's going to make this pass. You're just not like this pass is getting intercepted, turned over, tipped, whatever. Yeah. He made the pass. But JD, he also had five turnovers tonight. He is very Jekyll and Hyde. In game one, he was magnificent. He was hidden shots. He had that behind the back play where he just goes behind his around the world. Yeah. Hit a floater. Like you're right. If Marcus Smart's good games could be as good as Drew Holiday's, he'd be probably a top 30 level player. But the problem is is that his, I think the difference between him and a guy like Drew Holiday, right? Because I think we'd say the same thing about Drew Holiday. Either his good games are really good and his bad games are really bad. But Drew Holiday's good games can involve him giving you 30 on efficient shooting. And even Marcus Smart's good games, he's going to shoot like 8 for 19. Yeah. He's going he's gonna to miss 
he's going to only make 40% of his shots, even on the good games. And I think Boston, like smart's a really good player. I think he's maxed out what he can be, which is saying something because he's gotten to be really good in his time in the NBA, JD. I just don't feel like, I, I don't know if they lose this series. I feel like Marcus smart will be a lot of people's easy answer. Why? And I think they might be right. Yeah, I think I think he can actually be better, but man, it's just he had Marcus Smart needs to find some consistency in his game. He is way too up and down. We don't like we need to know even in your worst on your worst day on your worst games, you could be fifteen, four and five. Like that should be with his type of talent. That should be the cutoff right there. 15, 4, 5, and a steal. But we don't get that. He's way too up and down. Like, And I think a huge part of it is he doesn't focus enough on just playing. Heat Marcus Smart is... He gets way too involved with everything else going on. What do you mean by that? Like, how does he get, like, is it just he's trying to flop too much? Is it he's trying to draw too many charges? What do you think that problem is? Um, A big part, I, I will say the flopping, it, it makes no sense to me. Um, Another one is, I think he, he tries to engage too much in the trash talk. Like, whoever that say anything, half the time, people don't even have to direct nothing towards Marcus Smart to get him um, rowdy. They just know that they can. So they'll say something real small to somebody else. And they know he going to react. Teams know that, that that's how he is. And I think he just has to find his way of not getting involved. Be just like, you know, a player who don't get involved on their team with anything. Who's that? Derek White. It doesn't matter if you go at Derek White. Derek White will not respond. He's disciplined. That's what Marcus Smart is lacking. Discipline. Derek, to be fair, Derek White also did come up under Popovich. So... Yeah, but I, I I think that's that's what just I just realized. The reason Marcus Smart Marcus Smart is so inconsistent, he's not disciplined. I think you could make a case that Brad Stevens was too player friendly, right? Yeah. Like he was going too far in the other direction of the like the usual college coach, right? And I think. Billy Donovan and Brad Stevens are by far the two most successful NBA or college NBA coaches. I can remember like beeline, right? Beeline wasn't ever going to last in the NBA because he was too much of a dictator in college, right? Patino was always a terrible fit for the NBA because he was a dictator in college. Calipari same. Actually, I think Calipari might've even got tried to go further. (laughs) Calipari loves being the player's coach, but Brad Stevens I'm not saying he didn't foster a a culture of accountability. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I am trying to say is that Brad Stevens and Greg Popovich, two very visibly different personalities. Yeah. You I have, mean, even with ahead. Udoku, even with Udoku, 
I'm, I, you can tell that he has a great relationship with his guys, but he, we saw, we have seen him get them to do things Brad Stevens couldn't. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't see, we, it was times where we could see that Brad Stevens told them to do something and they, they went about it their way. I think Udoku demands more out of them. For sure. And I think you've seen like Tatum and Brown. I think I want to talk about them next. Tatum and Brown have been pretty inconsistent. These whole play like Tatum's been pretty consistent. If he has a bad game, he'll usually bounce back with three good ones. But you've seen them be the most consistent they've ever been. Marcus Smart was the best he's ever been. But you're right. If you're not fostered in that tough environment as a young player, then it becomes hard to break those habits as you get older in your NBA career. And I think you bring up a great point with Derek White because Derek White's kind of an older player to begin with, right? Mark Smart came out after at the age of 20. He was a college All-American, was one of the most regard, well-regarded players in the country in spite of his incident at Oklahoma. Yeah. It Oklahoma or Oklahoma State? I think it was Oklahoma It was State. Oklahoma State. It was Oklahoma State. So he has that incident with the fan at Oklahoma State. But other than that, he has a wonderful college career. He's a really well-regarded player. And Derek White comes. He plays. I don't remember where he played the first few years of his college career. He it was in a D2 school. Exactly. I knew it was low. I didn't want to say how low without knowing. <laughs> He then goes to Colorado his last year, gets drafted by the Spurs in the 20s, and then Blossom scores, you know, has that great series against Denver in 2019. But he uh-huh. he had to work hard to get to where he was, right? And he worked really hard. He grew up in that Spurs culture. And I'm not saying like Marcus Smart is entitled or anything like that, but he came from being a star and he's accepted his role. But at at sometimes you still see like, oh, I want to be a star, Marcus pop out. And that's the problem for the Celtics, I feel. Yeah. I think I don't think it's just him. I think sometimes the team all has faulted to want a hero ball. I think this this been the most we seen we we have witnessed them go away from that, but for the most part, for years now, that's what they all have done. They just all went in to play hero ball, and it it led to the demise of plenty playoff runs. Like, and think about it too. Going back to that college thing, it's like all these guys were stars in college, right? Al Horford obviously won two championships as the best player. Best player, second best player, him and Joe Keem were one and two very clearly at Florida, right? Um, Jason Tatum, obviously big man on Duke's campus, 2017. Jalen Brown, big man on Cal's campus, 2016. You even want to go to the role players. Peyton Pritchard, big man on Oregon's campus. Grant Williams, big man on Tennessee's campus. And so, yeah, I think the Warriors guys, Clay Thompson... I don't remember what he was like in college, to be honest. Steph Curry was a massive college star, but he, you know, had to adjust his role. And he's one of the most humble superstars this side of Tim Duncan. Humble is not the right word. One of the most selfless superstars this side of Tim Duncan, right? Andrew Wiggins was a college star and was an NBA star, but had to get humbled. 
Now that's a real humbling, right? Like he had to go from being the number one option to yeah. be willing to take 12 shots in a finals game. If you told Andrew Wiggins, he was going to be like, if you told him five years ago, if you were going to be playing in the finals and you only take 12 shots in 30 minutes, he would have elected you like you were crazy. Yeah. He had to get humbled at this point in his career to take the role. Right. I think Jordan Poole got humbled his first year in the NBA. I think that there's a lot of different, like, and I'm not saying the Celtics aren't humble, right? They've been punched in the face a lot in their times in the NBA, especially Al Horford, right? But I, I do think you struck on gold there. And some, a thought I was having earlier, it's like, sometimes these guys are so used to being the star, they want to put the team on their back and they're not good, except for Tatum and Brown, they're not good enough to put the team on their back. Yeah. So to Tatum and Brown, so Tatum had the bad first game. Um, only had 12 points, but had 13 assists, five rebounds. They won game one. Game two, he bounces back, and the rest of the team crumbles around him, including Jalen Brown. And Jalen Brown started off outscoring Golden State 13 and nine. And then he scored four points the rest of the way and <laughs> finishes five of 17. It feels like the Warriors were poking the ball away, like the Heat were. Can these two ever be good at the same time? It's an actual legitimate question. I, I don't think they can. <laughs> I believe that they can. I just don't believe that. How can I say this? I don't believe they've shared the load together as much until this year. Every other year, I think it was always Tatum, Tatum, Tatum. Like, they just pushed Jason Tatum ahead of everybody. And I think this year, Udoku said 1A, 1B. Even if you're not going to – like, it, I remember games earlier this year where Tatum have 23 and 12 and Jalen Brown to go for, like, 27, 7, and 4. Like, you know, like, I – if Jalen Brown going to be the top scorer of this game, Tatum dominating the glass and vice versa. It's been times where they've done that. I think they still just learning. All right. When is it best for me to attack? And I think, honestly, they got to learn what quarters is theirs. You know how, uh, for instance, Every team Jimmy Butler has been on, it's been known that he's the fourth quarter guy. Even when he was on Philly. And B, you dominate the first quarter, the third quarter. We go try to get our shooters going um, first quarter off of MB, and we go look to them second quarter to see where Ben and Tobias get done. But in the fourth quarter, it's Jimmy time. And, and that's, that's what it is. I think they still have to learn who comes out hotter, who who's, who slows down, and what get them to slow down, who has the lungs to carry us home. You have to learn a lot of these things. Even with um, Milwaukee, we know that the fourth quarter is Chris Middleton quarter. We know that. We know that we're going to see Drew come alive either second quarter, they try to get, get Drew going, and um, – the start of the fourth, because Giannis went through went through um, maybe the first forty two minutes. 
they want to, him to establish his dominance. And th- these are things that you you notice this about superstars and who they got around them with Nikola Jokic. Jokic never starts off the first quarter hot. He tries to get Jamal Murray going. He tried, They try to get Michael Porter Jr. going because down the stretch, you get a steady dose of Jokic and Jamal Murray in the pick and roll. And that way, we know Jokic going to be able to get his. But if Jamal Murray has a high first quarter, we know he'll be able to spot up and shoot that fourth quarter because Jokic going to draw that attention. He ain't going to have to do as much because he already has a rhythm. This is what top teams and top guys do. The Clippers, Kawhi, first quarter, fourth quarter. Paul George, second, third quarter. And if anybody that paid attention to them in the playoffs last year, this is what they did. LeBron James, first quarter, Anthony Davis dominate. Second quarter, LeBron came at you. Third quarter, LeBron came at you. Fourth quarter, Anthony Davis closed it out. This is what they did the championship year. People, I don't, I don't think that a lot of times people understand these things until they took a loss. Until until they are established as who they are as a superstar or as a star, all-star. This is Jalen Brown's first all-star game, right? So I think, and then with a new coach, they're just fanning out right now what these two can be best at as teammates, but not as a dynamic duo yet. They haven't hit that stage yet. For sure. I think they're pretty damn close, though. Yeah. I think, like... They're probably the best two, other than Kawhi and PG. I think they're probably the best two teammates in the league. And you're right. I think they need to have a hierarchy. I think that's an excellent point by you. Because, yeah, if there's not a hierarchy, like you're saying, right? It's not even so much to... I'm trying to find the right way to phrase this. It's just to ease the pressure off the other superstar, right? And like you, I think the Middleton Giannis comparison is the easiest way to make this point. It's like Giannis is such an incredible player, right? But inevitably, he's just going to get double teamed. They're going to pass it out to Middleton. Middleton will have Middleton has a really good defender on him usually, right? But teams yeah. respect how good Middleton is at making that mid range jumper with the hand in his face. He's still going to shoot that, and you know he's going to shoot that, and half the time he's going to make it. So that makes them really hard to guard in the fourth quarter. And I think Brown and Tatum need to find that. Obviously, they didn't play crunch time tonight, right? They got blown the fuck out in the third quarter. Mm -hmm. But they need that guy. I thought Tatum was pretty good in the third. Like, he was their best player in the third quarter by far. He had eight points in the quarter. (laughs) He missed a couple of free throws. Should have had 10 points. But points still stands. He actually, like, there was one point during that run. I think it was, like, 60-something it was six, 59-68 Golden State's way. And Tatum made a pull yeah. three to make it a six-point game. And that was about when they lost, the Celtics lost the, their path, right? And the Warriors closed it out on a 19-2 run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that pool three was ridiculous, by the way. Oh, man. But Amazing I, shot. I think there's ways to... I think there's ways to make it work, and I'll be curious to see. They need to come out... The Celtics need to come out strong in game three. Because you don't want to lose home court after you got it back. <laughs> and let's just let's go to the Warriors, JD. 
if you're the Warriors, how are you coming out in game three and trying to steal home court back? Um, the same way they did this game, ultra aggressive and looking to establish dominance and just pretty much bully um, Boston. I think Draymond Green put his stamp on the game from the first play when he tried to snatch it and force the jump ball with Al Hufford. He was aggressive on offense, looking to actually take advantage and score. And and he got into it with everybody. He was Draymond Green, the 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 2019 through 15 Draymond Green. Well, we just knew no matter what, he going he gonna get into it with somebody. He started he started it with Tatum, um Grant Williams, Marcus Smart. It didn't matter who it was. He went at him, and he was talking. He was chirping. The first chance he got, remember at the end of game one, Horford flexed after a dunk. He get an and one on Horford. He comes back staring at Horford. Like, that's the Draymond that that they need. And I think to, to take game three, come back with that same energy. Everybody. Clay. Shot terrible. Brilliant defensive game. Steph, all in the passing lanes. Wiggins didn't shoot that good, but not down the first. The first his first two shots was threes, timely threes on offensive glass. Was sharing the ball. Um, Looney was Mr. Glue guy. He 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 just go be wherever you need him to be. He fits the piece where he has to be every time. Um, I think I don't know. I think if they had that same aggression, regardless if the shots going down or not on defense that they had tonight, they they win. Of course, it was some missed calls and all of that, but I think for the most part. Once they was able to get into Boston mental, Boston start forcing things and start. They didn't play together no more. They tried, but you could see them getting so frustrated by the physicality of the Warriors. Sometimes they didn't get back on defense, which was get making um their teammates had to do fouls, you know, just to stop the break. You know, things like that. And with a team like Golden State, they are a smart team. You you get you two quick one, uh, two quick, all right, let's stop the break fouls. You only three more into the penalty. You only three more. Golden State got enough guys that can draw some contact. I mean, Jordan Poole. Steph, even though Steph don't always get the call, Draymond actually physical enough to get the call. Hillman, Wiggins, you know, they got guys that they, they'll risk their body just to get you there. Then when you got three guys that shoot 90% from the line, you think they're not going to search out contact? You, you know, it, simple things like that. And I think you brought up a good point there. You can't complain about the officiating and how physical they were being. Because they only called 10 fouls that whole quarter. Six on you, four on the Warriors. So it's not like you got 10 fouls and they only committed four. For the most part, it was pretty even. You guys just got your asses kicked. They came out. 
the Warriors, I thought the Warriors were a lot to get away with a lot, right? But also this whole playoffs, you and I have both been saying the Celtics have been allowed to get away with a lot. Yeah, they've been they've been pretty much physical bullies. And then the blowouts should have happened earlier. Golden State missed like eight layups what yeah. that they should have made in, in the first half. The, the first half shouldn't even been as close. So I mean, we you if you saw Golden State just making shots. At some point in the game, you knew they'll pull away. I have to say, though, JD, and I thought they did a good job adjusting tonight. But game one, I thought the Warriors showed some some cracks in the armor, let's say. I'm trying to find the right way to phrase that here. Because throughout the whole throughout the whole Maverick series, I was like, oh, these guys are wide open. They're just missing their shots. Mm-hmm. And I think, J.D., there's a difference, right? I think, obviously, if you just ask me who's a better shooter, I'd say Reggie Bullock over Al Horford. But who has more big game experience? It's easily Al Horford, right? Mm -hmm. Who has more big game experience is easily Derek White. That whole Mavericks team was inexperienced. They've only played, what? (laughs) Bullock's barely been in the playoffs, and then that Mavericks core has only played 13 playoff games together before this year they were just not going to hit open threes in a pressure pack situation like that. Like Kleba, once he was missing, missing threes and you saw him, Reggie Miller pointed it out on the broadcast on TNT in the last round, you saw Maxi Kleba just hesitating, right? Even with these Celtics guys, even when they're shooting yeah. bad, they're not going to hesitate, right? I don't think they're going to get scared by the Warriors. I don't think that's in this team's DNA. And I think it's, I don't think they'll go seven for seven from three to start a quarter again. But I don't think it's implausible <laughs> that these guys shoot like 40% from three on 50 attempts. 40% from three is 23s, right? And that's been the difference. A lot of these playoff games is just who ends up making more threes. And tonight it was the Warriors. Game one, it was the Celtics. I, JD, I just don't feel like this Celtics team is going to get phased by the pressure the same way the Mavericks did. or the. I don't think the Grizzlies were phased by the pressure. I just think they lost their best player. I don't think yeah. the Celtics team is anywhere near this Mavericks team in terms of green legs. Like, yeah, they probably could use some more experience, but there's literally no team that's played more playoff games together in the league than the Warriors between the three guys in Iguodala. So it's not a fair comparison there. Yeah. So, Jay, I, I just don't feel like the Celtics, they shot bad tonight, but I would guess in, game, in one of the games at home, they're going to find their legs and they're going to make shots. And I think... I honestly think the series is going back to Golden State 2-2 after the next two games. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a fair um thought. I can't say that it's not. I mean, the way I see it, I always had um Boston winning the game at home. I didn't have them still a one on the road. So regardless, I I I feel like uh it goes back tied up. If my math's right, so they're going to play game three on Wednesday. This is will be coming out on Monday afternoon. So that means 48 hours after this, more than 48 hours after this podcast is released, you'll get game three. Game four is the only game with a day between the games. <laughs> so I don't know. Like the Celtics were the team that was the, the Celtics and the Warriors were both teams, actually. When I think about it, they were the beneficiary of that weird break in the second round, if you remember. Yeah, yeah, I said I said that it was so random. 
it was like they missed. I think it was because there was some scheduling conflict in Milwaukee. So they just gave all the teams the, the game off. <laughs> But they didn't give the Heat and the Sixers and the Suns and the Mavericks a day off. Yeah, yeah. That was that was weird. But I I think JD I'll just ask you this. Who does who benefits more from having less rest between game three and four though? The Warriors or the Celtics? Wait, say that again. Who benefits I, I it's a it's a confusing question. I I understand. So who benefits more from having the game the day between the games? Just one day. Because I think both teams benefit from having more than one day between the games, right? I think so, um go to state does. I think so too. They older and um what one thing you want for sure from those guys are um you you want they vets to come in every game fresh with Boston because they mainly have um, younger guys and guys that's entering a prime. And guys taking plenty of PEDs and Al Horford. <laughs> Did I say that? They 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 in a they in a situation where they can play night to night, night to night, night to night, and it don't bother them. Golden State has been the number one team that complained about 82 games the last seven years. I'll say this too, is the the reason why I, I think you make great points. The reason I think it benefits Golden State more than it does Boston is because Rob Williams, to me, is loving these extended breaks between the games. Because he's been, how he came back so soon from a meniscus tear is really remarkable. But he hasn't been right for, I I think we would both agree, the majority of these playoffs. He hasn't looked like the same guy we saw in the regular season. Game one, he did. And I thought that was one of the differences. I think we didn't really talk about that enough. Game one, he was amazing. And then game two tonight, he just wasn't that same guy. And I think... I wouldn't be surprised, JD, if Rob Williams misses game four. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And I just, I feel like the extended days between games, I feel like that helps the Celtics a lot more just because I do think it would be better for Tatum and Brown to be in a more consistent rhythm, right? But I think for the team as a whole, I think they need Rob Williams to win the series. I don't think they can win. I don't think they can win with him playing 14 minutes. I just I don't think that's going to be the case. And he goes down and he doesn't come back <laughs> and they lose the game because him not being out there. I think they're I think the Warriors are scared of Rob Williams. And I don't think it's unfair to say they're not scared of Al Horford at the rim. I don't think anyone's really ever been scared of Al Horford at the rim. But I don't think especially they are. I don't think they're scared of Grant Williams. The thing with like the Bucks, right? <laughs> The reason you don't need a, you can't stop Giannis with just a rim protector. You need guys who are going to bang with him, have really good core strength, right? And I think that's where Horford and Grant Williams came in. This same thing with the Heat for the most part, because Jimmy, Jimmy, you can stop him with length, but the Celtics didn't have that. So they were able to stop Bam with their length, and Horford did a really great job on Bam too. Mm -hmm. But the Heat, for the most part, were a one-man team that series, and Jimmy <laughs> yeah. was incredible he, for it. He should have won. He, he definitely should have won uh, 
Eastern Conference play. I, I don't think they really should have awarded that because I don't want I don't like the idea of giving it to the player on the losing team. So they really should have just given it to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> in hey, look, my opinion, I really don't believe in giving it to somebody on the losing team. But Jimmy, I think it was clear he was the best player that series. I would agree with that. I don't think what's funny is I don't think Tatum, with the exception of the net series, I don't think Tatum has been the best player in any of these series. I think obviously we know Giannis is better. We both agree Jimmy was better, and we both agree Steph is better. You mm-hmm. can quibble with KD, but I think that was more a product of KD's legs. So, yeah, I think. Do you have any other final thoughts, Shady? I think we touched on a lot of aspects of this. Um, no, I think we hit pretty much everything. I think we did too. Now, one thing I think we got to talk about. I told JD we got to talk about this. It's big news in the coaching world. Normally, we'd put this on the front, but it's the fucking finals, man. <laughs> finals gets the main talk and we'll probably spend like a couple minutes on this. Quinn Snyder today announced that he was stepping down as the head coach of the jazz. There's only one other head coaching opening right now. And it sounds like that will be going to Kenny Atkinson, probably going to be announced this week to Charlotte, either him or Mike D'Antoni. Right. Mm -hmm. So that means the jazz will have the only coaching opening in the league. The draft is in two weeks, two weeks from this Thursday. And when it's draft week, that means you can make trades. That means you need to decide the direction of your franchise. So how do you feel, JD, about this whole Quinn Snyder thing? Uh, honestly, I really don't know. Like, I don't know if it's good or bad for Utah. I don't know because we don't know the direction the team is going in. I mean, if you go get rid of the coach, then I say, what, maybe a one-year, two-year trial line? Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty lost about what what they're trying to do. What's the goal? I don't, I don't know. How dare you give a fair and nuanced answer, JD? I I can't. This is a podcast. Hot takes are supposed to be flying. Um, and I'll see. It's Utah. It's Utah. It's whenever it's Utah, you just you 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 lost. We didn't even know Danny Ainge was about to get the job. And their guy, I don't remember the name of the guy who built the team, the GM, the longtime president of basketball operations. He's secretly fled to Houston. He secretly took Daryl Morey's old job back at Houston. Yeah. So this jazz thing, I think has been kind of a slow crumble for the since, since last playoffs. Like, I think we kind of knew that their expiration date was near, right? Quinn Snyder. I, I should have given the bona fides before Quinn Snyder finished 372 and 264 in eight seasons as the jazz head coach. That's a 585 winning percentage. Meaning they were pretty damn good. His first year, they were 38 and 44. Second year, they were 40 and 42. And then the next year, Gordon Hayward's last year in Utah, 51 and 31. Basically, since Gobert's hit hit his prime, the Jazz have been a consistent top team in the West, right? This year, they finish as, what did they finish as the five seed? They finish as the five seed. Yeah, because Dallas hit home, home court. That's right. So they were pretty good. 
for the they were pretty good for the last since 2017. So since Katie went to Golden State, they'd been pretty consistently really good, right? They draft Donovan Mitchell, don't miss a beat, win 48 games in 2019-20. They're probably going to win 50 games before the bubble happens. 2020-21, they were they were like basically a 58 win team. And they just weren't able to pull through in the playoffs. And that will be how I remember this Jazz team. I think Quinn Snyder is an excellent coach. I think he adapted his style multiple times. He lost one star player and basically ushered a new star player in as a rookie. Right Mm -hmm. now, that obviously required Donovan Mitchell to be really good. And has Donovan Mitchell gotten better since his rookie year? No. But I think the Jazz... I think we're slowly starting to see their rebuild come rebuild time come near. Right. I don't think, I just don't know how you pivot away from this. Right. What are you going to get for Gobert that will make you win as many games as Gobert made you win? Right. Yeah. And JD, as much as you hate Gobert, he's a great regular season center. They've basically been guaranteed to win 45 games. The entirety of Gobert's prime. Like, the first year Gobert started playing and they started to realize he was way better than Cantor. I think they finished that season on a tear, right? Gonna, and then you want to hear some trade destinations. I just thought of, let me hear them. Now, you know, I usually joke and talk crazy and don't want, I don't want him or Donovan Mitchell on good teams, but let's just say good teams go after them. I like I would like to see what Gobert would do with Phoenix. Cause you know my, my biggest complaint about DeAndre Aiden. I think Rudy Gobert needs a point guard that could do that for him. I think he I think he'd benefit well off of Book and uh and um CP three. Actually, they just on a team that passed the ball anyway. I don't think he'll be bad. And it's a team that looks to um they look to play team defense, which is something that Rudy Gobert is good at. I think he he could do well over there. Cause I, I honestly, if DeAndre Aiden has more to his game, he has not shown it. Um and give him a fresh start. Y'all don't want to pay him anyway, <laughs> according to Caleb Lynn. Um, so I don't know. It still be like I I don't like Rudy Gobert, but I don't know. I think he could do something pretty decent for them. I they was talking about Dallas. I could I could see him going there and playing off of Luca, but I think. The impact would be better for a team that has multiple guys that will lob you the ball. For sure. And I I think they're not trading Mitchell anytime soon. And by anytime soon, I mean until next offseason at the earliest, right? I think I think we both agree they should just both be gone and they should just try to rebuild now. Right? See what see if you can get like RJ Barrett for Donovan Mitchell. See if you can get like a blue chip guy for Donovan Mitchell because you're not getting one for Rudy Gobert, right? I think we would both agree with that, especially with mm-hmm. how big his contract is. And nobody think he worth that outside of Utah. 
well, and of course, Utah would think he's the greatest thing on God's earth, like the Utah organization, because they won so many games with him as the starting center in the regular season. But he consistently gets played off the court over and over again in the playoffs. And at some point, you just got to realize, oh, hey, maybe centers just can't stay on the court anymore. (laughs) Maybe we're just past that time in the league where you can play a five man and win a championship. The Bucks played Brooke Lopez, but also their secret weapon last year was Giannis at the five. The Lakers, 2020, their secret weapon was 80 at the five. 80 wouldn't have played the five 20 years ago. But now you can't have a guy not like him <laughs> to be the five. Both of these teams in the finals right now, they have six, nine guys who can defend the perimeter instead of the typical rim protectors. And Rob Williams is six, eight and can move his feet. So yeah. like, I just, I don't know where you go from him. Right. And then for Mitchell, I think it's been very clear for a while that Mitchell does not want to be in Utah. But he hasn't done jack shit. So, like, how can he demand a trade? Right? Like, Paul George, right? The classic guy who demanded a trade from his first situation. Paul George actually did shit in the NBA. He made a few conference finals. He was an absolute monster every single playoffs he played in for the Pacers, except for the 20. Whenever he was, like, his first two years in the NBA, he was fine. And then year three, we all remember Paul George killed the Heat in the conference finals, right? Yeah. Donovan Mitchell doesn't have that kind of track record. Now the West is a lot harder than the East was back then. I'll grant you that. But also JD Mitchell doesn't defend or play defense (laughs) or sorry. He doesn't defend or pass. You have to do one of the two. Jason Tatum before this year didn't pass. He defended his ass off on every single possession, right? Trey young can't defend worth a lick. But he can pass his way out of any trap. Exactly. You have to be able to do... You can't just be a... I'm just going to say it, JD. That of Mitchell's Monte Ellis with better PR. Mm. Like, you just can't win with that. We saw. How did the Warriors become a dynasty? They traded away Monte Ellis, right? Obviously, there were other things that happened. But that was one of the biggest things. They put the ball in Steph's hands. And they became monsters. And the Jazz don't have a staff. <laughs> That's what makes this hard. You have to build around Monte. You have no plan B. So I, I don't know where the Jazz go from here, JD. Do you have any last Jazz thoughts before we close? Um, continue to suck. Hopefully they miss the playoffs next year so my Pelicans can make the playoffs. I need my Brandon Ingram agenda to rise JD I have so much stock riding riding on Brandon Ingram you'll be shocked how high I have him on my top 100 <laughs> so I, I, I actually can see you having him somewhere very debatable I can't wait for you to yell at me about my top 100 it will be a blast later in the summer but um, I can't wait to talk to you again later this week after I think the logical next talking time would be after game four because I don't believe I think between game four and game five I think game four is on a Friday game five is on a Monday so that'd probably be the next logical time for us to talk on a podcast again so JD what do you have that came out recently on facts and stats and what else do you got coming down the pipe 
Um, the one I just put out was about support system, and I'm dropping probably sometime this weekend the new one. Um, I may get this one another week to write out actually, but about the um recent news that's been going on with all the mass shootings and uh, just the state of not just the country but the world, but especially this country. I think I think times like this we need to actually talk, hear each other's voices and come together. For sure. Make sure you check out facts and stats. JD's the best out there. Um I don't but maybe I'm a little biased. Nah, that's my bias, it's the truth. I mean <laughs> sometimes your bias leads you to the truth, you know what I'm saying? So but JD is a really good talker. You're gonna wanna hear him discuss uh, JD, I'm not just saying this because you're my friend. I say it because I think it's true. I think you're really wise. So oh, thank you. Of, well, of course, you know I'm sure you think I'm an idiot. So, <laughs> uh. but in all seriousness, I have a lot of respect for JD's. JD and I can have some really deep conversations about life sometime, and I give facts and stats my 100% endorsement. I don't know why you need to hear that from me, but you know I I think JD's worth your time. Make sure you check out Linsanity. Um, he and Bryce will be back this week. Caleb and I have something fun coming down the pipe. Actually, JD, we're going to be discussing a little bit of off season stuff. Going to be talking about, um, restricted free agents from the 18 draft class. You know, some interesting names, miles bridges, Jalen Brunson, Colin Sexton, a guy you just brought up, Deandre Ayton. And then we're going to be talking about extensions. Cause you know, JD, the night, the class, draft class of 2019 is eligible for their extensions this yeah. summer. So I think there's two very obvious max candidates. I think there's one max candidate. That's a little less obvious. And then, Ooh, buddy, what are the Pelicans going to do about Zion Williamson real quick? Do you have a take on what you think? Do you think the Pelicans are going to throw a max extension offer at Zion this summer? I think they will. I don't think they should. <laughs> I don't think they should. I think they will. I think that would be really dumb to lock in Zion. And here's the next question, JD. If Zion gets that extension, how long until you request a trade? Um, I say maybe a month after the season start. I think he ain't gonna want to just come immediately right out but I think he he comes out eventually and say I can't do it here these people is this you know act like act like he tried to stick it out but really he did it that'll be something Caleb and I discuss on the whole pod later this week you won't want to miss that and then make sure you check out Circle City Cinema I believe they're going to start talking about the new Obi-Wan Kenobi series I haven't had a chance to watch but I'm going to watch so make sure you check that out JD, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, of course, brother. And I want to thank everyone so much for listening.